Young people, you know that you're not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. Often we don't know the particulars, but we know that in general. But we're in this together. We're walking hand in hand. We want to do this together. If those of us who are older, we want to share with you our insight that we've gathered along the way. You know why? Because we love you. And I don't want to see you make some of the mistakes I made. You're going to have enough of your own. I want to see you do better. And ultimately, I was reminded last night by Leon's great lesson. Thank you, Leon. You reminded me of my dad and my mom, great parents. They introduced me to Jesus. We were constantly going to church. But I liked it. Do you know most kids like going to church? Have you seen that? So take advantage when they're young. It's still within them, this joy of being in a greater family, even in love their own biological family. I had a great spiritual family growing up. I knew that they expected good things from me, and that helped me to, to go on. What a joy to be with you. But, Leon, you reminded me of my dad. You were talking about your driving. Dad went to the doctor. His name was Raymond, Raymond Kilgore. And the doctor said, well, Raymond, how you doing? He said, Doc, I can't hear, I can't see, but thank the Lord I can still drive. <laughs> Scared us after death at times. Oh, I love my daddy. I got to stop there. I'll get all emotional and we'll have to weep for an hour. So thank you for allowing me to come and have fellowship with you. We're having fellowship right now. We're going to talk about a little bit of fellowship in a moment. That's become a church word that's almost been totally ruined because we've taken it out of scriptural context. But we'll talk about that and a little bit more in just a moment. So, let's on the cock, John. You need to get started with the lesson. All right. What will your legacy be? What will it be, seniors? What are you leaving behind for the younger generation that will benefit them? What will your legacy be? Note this quote from Pericles. What you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. Woven into their lives, into their character of who they are and who they are becoming. You know, growing old in persistence. Yes, it has its difficulties, doesn't it, see? It has its difficulties. Reduction in physical ability, health problems, single again possibly, money problems maybe, difficulty in finding a purpose for each day, possibly even loneliness. 
Jesus knows about our situation. And he has provided a solution. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But it causes us to be able to expand our sense of what it means to be a Christian. Yes, it means to be a believer. Yes, it means to be a disciple and a person who is saved. It means those things. But it also means contempt. Are you missing that, senior? Are you missing that facet of being a Christian? That Jesus is such a power in your life that he comes to you and allows you to be contented even in difficult circumstances. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose a man falsely imprisoned, abused, to teach us about contempt? That's the power of God. He takes the cross and teaches us about great things. And this is what he's done through the life of the Apostle Paul. It means content. Contentment. It's so, we're speaking to you, uh, this is a review of what we studied on Friday night. Contentment. Do you know the secret? It's called a secret, that which was formerly hidden, but now revealed in Christ, the secret. Now, let's look at our opening text. We studied with just a quick review to bring us up, and then we'll, we'll get right into our lesson for today. But I rejoice, this is Paul writing from prison, a thank you letter to the Philippians who had helped me. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Further, I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need, I can do. Let's, let's just say this together. You want to? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want you to say it one more time. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you believe that? If you've never thought of this deeply, I hope this weekend will be an opening for you to begin to think about that. Jesus is an all-purpose Savior. He comes to make our lives wonderful and we must have contentment for that to be so so we ask contentment what is it well it's the ability to say i have enough i have enough i don't have to have more in order to be contented i have enough whatever it is if i have christ i have enough Further, it's 
the state of mind that believes that all I need is Christ. And, therefore, in every and all circumstances, I am content because I have Christ who strengthens me. So, how do you get it? It's what we're going to attack this morning. How do you get it? Well, you've got to want it. Secondly, you have to learn it. You're not born with it. You have to learn to be content. You learn it from those who have it. Seniors, one of our responsibilities, teaching the younger people about what it means to be content. And that it depends upon Christ. And you learn it by experience. By experience. If you will, initiation into being a Christian. Jesus promised that being a Christian would never, ever be easy. Is that what you signed up for? A life that's challenging. A life that is never easy in this world. You learn it by experience. You are in Christ. So, which are you? Thermometer or a thermostat? Thermometer? Up and down, up and down, hot and cold. Spiritually speaking, contented, worried, exasperated. Unhappy. Are you a thermostat? You allow Christ to set that thermostat to contentment and you regulate your life. Still going to be a challenge, of course, but this is our choice. Thermometer or a thermostat. So therefore, I am committed to becoming a thermostat rather than a thermometer, to being initiated into the secret of contentment, to using the power within me that sets my spiritual temperature to contentment, to meeting the challenge of any and every circumstance through Christ who strengthens me. Brethren, we have the power to overcome circumstances by the one who is the master of every circumstance. Now look at this quote from the Gospel of John. He's talking to his apostles. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home, and to leave me alone. What's he telling them? Troubles come. Difficulties coming. I'm leaving. You're going to feel alone. I want to get you ready. So that in me, you, and let me read it, because let me pick it up again. 
me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. That word tribulation comes from a root word that means pressure. In the world you're in the pressure cooker of the world. You feel the pressure of all these forces upon you. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Let Jesus take the pressure off of you in this world. You can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we ask, how does this work? How does this process work of learning to be content? Well, this is one way, only one, to look at the book of Philippians. And we've already given you the key to this way of looking at the book. It's from chapter 4, the end of the book, where Paul in essence says, I've learned to be contented. I'm writing for prison, and I want you to know how one attains to this situation or this spiritual state of contentment. First of all, you've got to have someone to love, companionship. And we're not talking about marriage. We're not talking about sex. We're talking about companionship. And really, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about us. Right here. In local churches. We must have companionship, someone to love. Then later in chapter 1, he gives us the purpose, something to do. And then in the next part of the book, he gives us destiny, some place to go. And then he talks to us about unity, something to achieve. And then he talks to us about intimacy. Someone to know. Of course, that's Jesus in an intimate way. And then finally, he talks about peace, something to have. Now, I'm only going to talk about the first. But here's a way for future study that you can look at the book of Philippians. And isn't it interesting? And I think instructive that Jesus chose to teach all these things through a man in prison. What does it tell you? When life gets hard, when life is difficult, look for good things. I'll ask you just a simple question. Under what circumstances do you remember learning the most valuable lessons of your life? For me, it's been times and difficult. What about you? That's the way he works. You know why? I don't know that I fully know why, but I'm impressed that he is teaching me, John, Don't trust in yourself. Trust in me. 
I am the source of power. I don't care how smart you are, how rich you are, how talented you are, how good looking you are, how well connected you are. The source of the power is Jesus Christ. And I want to develop that intimacy with him. So, contentment comes when, and I'm going to pass over this. You've already seen this. I'm on the clock here. I'm watching it, Ricky. Just I'm watching it. You said, John, I don't want you to watch it. I want you to, you know, stop. <laughs> All right, let me get to it. Contentment, companionship, someone to love. Seniors. Maybe you're single again through divorce or death. Maybe you've never married. You're like me. You need a family. Go get one. Go get a family. You need kids in your life. So go get them. You know, there are just thousands of kids that need surrogate fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers. Our world is coming apart because our families are disintegrating. And we can step in. We'll not be able to do all that a biological father and mother can do, of course. But we can stand in the gap. We can help direct them to Jesus. We can help to be a person of influence and of counsel and advice. And you know who will benefit? You will. You'll be the beneficiary of that. I always wanted to have a large family. I came from a large family, large by today's standards. There were four of us kids, but in our extended Kilgore family, there were, were hundreds. They came from original uh, a family of 14. So, you know, it doesn't take long. We'd start with 14 to multiply that out. And we had those reunions, and every, we were already surrounded by Kilgores and cousins and et cetera. And I always wanted to have a big family. I got one. Not a one of them are biological. But I got one. I don't know how many it's up, up around a thousand now of kids. And no, I didn't know every one of them on a personal level. That was impossible. But I know some of them. If they're my daughters, and they're my sons, they're my granddaughters, they're my grandsons. We talk on the phone. I see them. We hug. I talk to them. I ask them, what are you doing? And every now and then they come and kind of pat me, you know, like an older man and say, John, I love you. Thank you for being there for me. And I say, honey, you've helped me a lot more than I've ever helped you. You've given me purpose. You've given me a way to extend and learn how to love people, to love people to be a part of their life. And so, go get a family if you need one. And so, in our 
as we could clearly talk about the text, I want to make three points. I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayer. That's what you have when you have a companion. You have somebody you think about. You have somebody that's in your heart. I wanted to explore what that means. And you have them in your prayers. So let's begin. I have you in my mind. All right, this is from Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you suffering, let me get it right, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. How many of you got people in your mind that when you think of them, you thank God? Am I the only person? I'm raising my hand because I'm saying I got somebody. Isn't that wonderful? Just pull up a memory. Maybe you haven't seen them in a while. But you think about them. Maybe at odd times. You know, last night, you know, you're talking about your family, Leon. I thought about mine. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. All the people, the adults in my life that encouraged me. John, you need to think about preaching. Oh, well, I might. John, you need to think about that. I bet you had that in your life too, Ricky. People like that, even extended beyond your own physical family. Yes. When you think of them, when I remember you, I give a prayer of joy to God. Those with whom you share the most are the people that you think about the most. You get that? Those that you share the most with, you think about the most. Because you shared a common life. We share in things we love. We are drawn closer together by our association and our activities together. I joyfully thank God every time I remember you, all says to the Philippians. Seriously, you got somebody like that in your life? that you know that every time they think about you, they thank God. And they bring them joy and brings you joy. That's what we're talking about. That kind of companionship. And then verse 5. Now this is the reason. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Oh, John, they must be talking about churches and preachers. They are. Paul is. But don't limit it to just that application. Look at the principle. In view of your participation, if that's our fellowship word, that's our, that's literally, that's fellowship, from the first day until now, we were and are a team. It is true, some of us preach. Some of us are even fortunate enough to get paid for preaching. I've always thought it's a great blessing to get paid for something I'd do for nothing. 
Hey, y'all have already paid me, so I can say that now. If you don't mind, don't tell the brethren back home. They, I haven't told them yet. But really, I do it for nothing. Why? I love it. Gives me purpose. In view of the participation in the gospel, this is more than money. This is joint activity. When you do the hard things together, it draws you closer and closer, and you become inseparably linked through time and space. Now, just a word about fellowship. Fellowship is a church work. And what does it mean in usually in church circles? I'm talking about church universally in America. Well, it means eating, ball playing, recreation. Is that what he's talking about? Hardly. I would challenge you, if you want to study that word, look up everywhere that word is found in the New Testament. And I would submit to you, it means sharing in the things that are peculiarly Christ. I can Now, sharing a meal may be an occasion to have fellowship. We did that yesterday afternoon over at Ricky. Well, it was over Jody South. We shared a meal together. We had a table of four, five, six men around the table, and we, we solved all the world's problems. In about, how long did it take us, guys? About an hour? But we principally were not talking about the Astros. Oh, pardon me, the Rangers. Or other things. We, we mentioned that a time or two. Well, we were talking about the state of our culture and the church in it. I talked some, maybe more than I should. The other men, everybody participated. Let me see the hands of the guys who were sitting around that table. There we go. I just ask you, did you walk away in courage? I did. I found a group of guys that want to be concerned about the things I'm concerned about. They want to talk about the things I want to talk about. That's fellowship. Sharing in the things of Christ. And so we had a good time doing it. I love being in your fellowship hall right here. It's beautiful. Enjoy it. The acoustics are wonderful. All those who had a party building it so many years ago, I remember when you were building. It's wonderful. This is a fellowship hall. Sharing in the things of Christ. What is it? Speaking to help me. Speaking to one another in what? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, 
making melody in your where? Heart, loudly, in your heart. I'm telling you from my heart. I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. Get in the glory land way. Telling the world that Jesus saves today. I'm in the glory land way. I heard you sing that. You heard me sing it. When this together. This is our fellowship all. Building our time together, a commitment to Christ. Sharing with him in the things of Christ. And then verse 6. For, as a result of what he has stated in the first two verses, several verses, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Wow. Do you believe Christ is going to perfect me? In other words, I'm not done yet. I'm not all I want to be, and I'm not all that I think that he wants me to be. I'm not complete. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about completeness. You know that he began a good work in you with a goal of making you into the best person that you will ever be? And all this is needed when they can first get started, when we first get started. I can remember times in my early years, I'm just so grateful that there were people that said, you know, John can do better. He can live better than that. And we have confidence that Christ will work on him to bring him to maturity and to completeness. If you've got people in your life that their vision for you is to beyond what you are today, And they encourage you to go forward. As we were reminded, putting what lies behind, behind, pressing forward. Who believe in you. Who believe in your future. Who believe in the greater work that you're going to do. Confidence. This is what this kind of fellowship yields. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, when you have that attitude toward people, you can be patient. You can be patient. You don't have to have it today. They don't have to measure up to the mark in 30 seconds. You can be patient because you know Christ is working on them. Let's have that view. That's part of love. Seniors. Really. I'm going off script, so watch me. This is where I normally get in trouble with time. Seniors. Is there a young person in this church 
that you're watching. As you pray, as you see what they can become, you see the native talent. But it's just in a bud. It's not flowered yet. And are you taking steps to let them know, I believe in you. I have confidence in you. Go look for it. They're here. And young people, will you allow some of us seniors to encourage you? No, we don't live in the world totally that you do. If I never read anything more on Facebook, I wouldn't miss it, okay? I'm sorry, I confess. I have a Facebook account. And never knew what it meant. I was staying at Ricky, your house, up here preaching a meeting several years ago. I'd just gotten a Facebook account because I had an ex-girlfriend. I've had at least one. Okay, Ricky, one girlfriend. And she had sent me a friend request. You know, I said, well, I'm not going to tell her, no. I had no idea what that meant. She wanted to befriend me. That, that is the word, right? Say this. That gives me confidence. Okay. This helps me. Okay. So I said yes. And I filled out the requisite information, my birth date, and whatever else they asked for. I had no clue what I was getting into. I'm up here with Rick and Jody in the church, and all of a sudden I get this deluge of emails wishing me happy birthday. Well, so how do these people know my birthday? Who are these people? Some I knew, some I didn't. You know who it was? All the camp kids. All of a sudden, they had already been on Facebook, and all of a sudden, they saw my name, I guess. It got published some way, and they picked it up, and I thought, how on earth am I going to respond? I mean, it was like it was about 300 of them said, how on earth am I ever going to respond to all these kids? Well, I found a generic way to do that. But no, I'm not a big participant. But I like to read about y'all. You helped fill my life up. So allow some of us old folks to be in part of your life. It'll bless you and it'll bless us. Back to the script. And so, I have you in my heart. What does that mean? He writes, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, he was a Southerner. Because I have you in my heart. The biblical heart is what you think, what you feel, and what you decide. It's you. If you know what I think, you know what I feel, and you know what I decide, you know me. And he says, I want you to know I have you in my heart. 
God has placed you in my heart through this companionship. It is another way of saying God has caused me to love you for all of me. All of me is dedicated to your good and spiritual growth. Folks, I'm all in. I have nowhere else to go. I understand what Peter said when Jesus said, you're going to leave me too? And Peter said, where could we go? You have the words of eternal life. I've come to that point in my life. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Young people, learn it early. There is no life that's worth living outside of Christ. Let it become your life in every way. Further, note, he gives some of the details what has produced this. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. We have all seen the grace of God through his work we are doing together, he says. In very hard times, in this case imprisonment, in very hard work, the defense of the gospel. Isn't it interesting that hard times and hard work forge us together in ways that no other times do? People become our family. Because we've gone through hard times together. We help one another. And then, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What is the result of this coming together in hard work, supporting one another, working together? It causes us to long for one another with affection. The affection of Christ. He's not talking about sexual affection. He's talking about the holy kiss, or if you will, the holy handshake or the holy hug. The holy touch. It says, oh, it's good to see you. You know, one of my favorite days out of the whole year. On a Sunday afternoon, about 2.30 or 3 p.m., I'm in Dry Creek, Louisiana, deep woods, and I see this caravan of cars come roaring in and kids jumping out of those cars, hugging one another. I'm hugging them. They're hugging me. Oh, Mr. John, it's good to see you. I said, not as much as I'm glad to see you. I love that. I love that. And that's not necessarily an advertisement for our camp, even though I want to thank you for sending a lot of you kids there. You've helped us. And I hope we've helped you. That's affection. That's important. 
being affectionate with one another. Longing for another person means we want to be with them. Longing with affection means we enjoy a love and warmth in their presence that comes from our mutual love of Christ. They are our family. And then, lastly, I have you in my prayers. And this I pray, that you lo- that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. See, he not only wants them to grow in their love, but he wants their love to be guided and tempered and bounded by what? Knowledge and discernment. It's what you were talking about the, uh, the other night, uh, Leon about loving a person who is, is engaged in sinful practices. You can't allow them to think that you condone that. It's wrong. It will destroy them. So love is tempered by this knowledge of the truth and discernment, wisdom. This is what companionship will help us to do. And then so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You know, we start out as babes. We need to learn the difference between bad and good, right? Choose the good. Well, then we grow a little bit more. We got two goods. Well, which is better? Takes a greater degree of discernment. But we're not done yet. We got better and we've got best. Excellent. Oh, we want to learn how to choose the excellent way. And then, in order, this is the result, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. This is the result. Sincere and blameless. It's been said before, we'll say it again. Brethren, let's want everybody to go to heaven. To be sincere and blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. To the glory, to the glory and praise of God. Conclusion. Companionship and spiritual work promotes contentment for it fills one of our basic needs, love. Love based upon sharing together in an important eternal work is the strongest bond with our brethren stored in our hearts. We are strengthened to face any and all circumstances. This is our legacy. This is our legacy to you who are younger. We want to be together in heaven. Let's give it away. Please, come take it. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. 
If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.